Coming to you from the Morningstar Mission sponsored studio, this is Carl and Crew Mornings. Well, happy Thanksgiving, cranberry sauce and all. Gratitude, man. God is the author of gratitude. He is. Be thankful, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Boom Crew, celebrate what God is doing in you. This is Carl and Crew Mornings. Well, with us right now is a dear friend of mine that I first met in South Africa. You remember that first day I met you, Jim? <laughs> Carl, <laughs> we didn't know what to think of each other. <laughs> Here's what's funny about me and Jim. We are so different, but we are so alike. Isn't that wild? Well, we're alike because we love the Scripture. The Lord has tempered both of us with His Word, and uh, we speak Bible. I mean, uh, what else do you need? That's exactly right. Jesus is the only answer for the maladies in our culture, right, Jim? Oh, He is. You know, uh, sorry, in Mark 8, I was just preaching through that last Sunday, and uh, Jesus says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod, left or right, uh, anyone who just wants power for power's sake, oh, be, be, be afraid, uh, stay away from it. <laughs> That's good. I don't know if we're going to be able to vote very lo- much longer here then. Uh, Jim, we're, we're talking about who wins this week, though, and who wins today. We're featuring sacrifice wins. Yesterday was team wins. Today is sacrifice wins, and it flows out of a cool passage here in Mark 10. I'll get to that in a moment, but I want to catch up the audience here, the boom crew, on my buddy Jim. You got some nasty news about how long ago? Was that like uh, eight, ten months ago you got some bad news initially? What was that? Oh, no, about a year and a half ago. Oh, it was a year um, and a half already? I was, I was found to have uh, pancreatic cancer. Okay. Uh, they gave me a Whipple, which is a major surgery, taking out a lot of extra parts. Uh, then I did chemotherapy for six months. And then the Lord uh, gave me my strength back. It just kept coming. And it's still coming. But they have found a return of cancer and pancreatic cancers like that. Just about two weeks ago, it was, uh, well, the oncologist said, um, your markers are up. Uh, this threw me in a, a CT scan. Oh, we've got a growth back here, a lymph node there. And um, we don't know what the Lord's doing, but radiation is next. But I just tell folk, God sent me on mission. I'm going to go meet some doctors and tell them about Jesus. <laughs> and you're doing it. Jim, to those that hear this and they go, all right, the guy's been told that his life's going to be cut short, which, by the way, we're going to pray here because— I am absolutely convinced. I haven't seen it a lot, but I have seen God preempt natural law, which is how a miracle happens. You got natural law, and God sometimes comes in and says, "Mm, I'm going to preempt natural law, and I'm going to do what's called a miracle. It could be that we just get a garden variety healing for Jim as well, but I'm praying for a miracle. So, Jim, how can you have joy in facing what your uh, doctor said is pretty grim news. How do you have joy? Oh, I've been waiting to see my Savior face to face all my life. I mean, since I came to 
Christ as a child. Um, I, I his creation. I see the beauty of the world. His spirit is in me. This is, well, the Apostle Paul said it's better to be with the Lord. But he said for others' sake uh, that he thought he would stay around a while. And it may be that for others' sake that the Lord keeps me here. My, so. my wife and family and church are all praying, and you uh, listeners are all praying. Yep. Uh, well, I'll do the work if it's uh, if I, it's if I'm around to do it. Yeah. I want to do this right now, Boom Crew. I'm asking you to lock hearts with me. This is what I prayed when Janine and I went down to be with Jim and Debbie just for a couple hours. We took a flying trip down last, when was that? Last, oh. fr- what was that? Last Friday? Last Tuesday. Last Tuesday. Okay. Got help from my team in here. Last Tuesday, we went down there and um, we prayed believing, and I want you to join me. I want us to do this right now. If you could, just as a symbol of agreement, if you just put out a hand to the radio, to a speaker, maybe straight up to the Lord as I pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I love Jim. Jim is one of the most self-sacrificing men I've ever met in my life, and no one can rival him. Maybe my dad for the joy of the Lord. I come in a distant second there. But Lord, I thank you for Jim from the bottom of my heart and without any fanfare and no yelling, I'm just saying, would you do a miracle for Jim? God, I'm asking you to do a miracle. There is no one I know that is willing to put your glory on his lips in sickness and in health than Jim. And I'm asking you to do a miracle for Jim. He will most certainly not let any of the acclaim stick to him. He will give you glory. And I'm asking you to heal him. We lock hearts together right now, knocking on heaven's door, saying, God, would you just listen to our heart here for a second? Would you heal my buddy Jim? And we leave it in your hands. And I pray no plan B. Pray in plan A. Trust in you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And though uh, too much praise for me, Carl, the Lord is the one who is good. But uh, the Scripture says in the Psalms, our God does whatever pleases him. Yes, so, he does. Uh, may, may, may he answer your prayers for uh, the benefit of the community I, I love and serve. Yeah, well, we agree with you on that. Coming up here in a moment, speaking of service, you can't have service without sacrifice. But what if I told you that the sacrifice that you give whenever you let go of something, God says a hundredfold, I'm going to reward you. How could it be? And if it's true, why aren't we taking this value proposition more seriously? My buddy Jim is going to be explaining this passage and how you can live it out coming up. Just tuning in? Hear what you missed with the Carlin Crew Showcast. Just go to carlincrew.org. We're back with my good friend Jim Strudelmeyer. He's the founder and pastor of Neighborhood Fellowship Church in Indianapolis. And they have, oh my goodness, guys, they have got a brand new medical, uh, physical rehab, dental clinic opened up across the street from the church. That is amazing. The work they're doing down there on Wednesday nights and all day Saturdays is really cool. But Jim, you're um, 
you love this passage. The rich young man comes to Jesus and he says, hey, what, what do I need to do? And he says, well, you need to follow all these commandments. He says, I've done them all. He says, well, sell all you have and you're going to be fit for the kingdom of God. And he walks away disappointed because he was so wealthy, indicating, right. indicating that stuff can get in the way of our relationship with God. But, Jim, what it goes on to say is that what we actually trade off is a potential hundredfold reward for those that sacrifice anything. Worldly pleasures, mother, brothers, sisters. What is Jesus saying here, Jim? Well, first, this rich man, his stuff owned him. He did not own it. And what an awful situation to be tied up in the physical world with no spiritual perspective. But Peter said, you know, we left everything. And Jesus then tells uh, the disciples, if you've left everything or anything for my sake, and then he tells them 30 or 100 fold. Well, I have one delightful story. Yeah, and it I want to hear this. Uh, years ago, um, a young man and I traded cars, and I gave a list of all that was wrong with it. I mean, wrote it down three pages. He, I needed a car with a heater because we had a little baby, and uh, he wanted, uh, oh, I like, like this little convertible I had. We traded and he had a lawyer neighbor call me up and say, I misrepresented the car. And I said, wait a second. Did you see the pages that I wrote that was wrong with it? Was it, this, looked, was it this guy driving around like a crazy man in the car that you traded him for? Yeah. Yeah, he was. The tires popped and all of that. But the, the gist of it is Jesus says, make a deal along the way. And if you uh, give him uh, if someone wants your coat, give them your tunic, too. And I, I ended up with nothing. I had no car, just humiliated. Oh, now I'm walking to work, and I got a, a, a wife and a little girl, and oh, no. Since that time, in fact, within about, oh, uh, 15 years of that date, at least 100 set of keys were put in my hands by others. In this life, God keeps those promises if you give up anything for the kingdom. And so whether it be houses or land or relationship, I can't tell you how many father figures I have when my own father has rejected me um, over the gospel. And so what does God do but keep his promises? Give things to him and he will multiply them in ways you never imagined. And then you'll be giving cars to friends and neighbors and folk who are in need, or you'll be giving land and church buildings. Carl, you know, God has given us church buildings and we just give them to congregations or we establish a congregation in them. God does what he promises. Is the reward of a hundredfold a worthy motivation or is it merely the glory of God or a little bit of both? Oh, no, um, it is a glimpse into heaven. It's just a glimpse. You know, um, heaven is going to be a place where there's no tears, no sorrow, no pain. The presence of our Savior will be there. No thing can compare to it. But God says, I'm going to show you right now how good I am, how kind I am. Now, here's the problem. People think, oh, by my giving, I will immediately receive. God takes his time. 
And in his time, he keeps his promises, and they are beautiful. So, no, uh, the stuff is not a worthy thing to pursue. I mean, but there's a joy in it. Look, God kept his promises. And then there's the hope that heaven will be so much more. Uh, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Yeah, wonderful, Jim. Jim Strudelmeyer, everybody. This is the real deal, this guy. And uh, in the last segment, we prayed for Jim. I want you to be in prayer for Jim. He's facing a a tough diagnosis. In fact, they're saying that his long-term prospects look a little grim for surviving this cancer that has come back. But we know God and the tomb is empty. Be in prayer for my buddy Jim. I love you, Jim. I love you, Carl. God bless you, and keep listening. The Word of God will change your life. It will. Thank you, Jim. No energy? No problem. We have all the energy you need and more. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. We love this man who's with us today. Stefano Fair joining us in studio. He's the president of Call of Hope Ministries, which is a ministry among Muslims that's been in existence for over 100 years. They're doing a phenomenal work. Stefano, how are you, young man? Oh, I'm absolutely doing fine. I think it's a long time that somebody called me young man, but but I'm really doing well. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. I'm always wanting to inspire the troops. Oh, great, great. I'm I'm here to do that. Thank you. All right. We want to really focus on what's going on in Lebanon today. But let's back up. Globally, there are so many things screaming for our attention it's almost easy to get distracted and miss some of the greatest pains in our world, isn't it? Well, that's it. You know, we hear about Ukraine. Well, that makes sense, of course. Yes. And, you know, in Europe, we talk about uh, gas crisis or whatever. But for me, it's somehow to forget about it. I mean, when you hear about Pakistan and they tell you one third of the country is underwater. I mean, one third of the country. And people die. And when you hear about Nigeria, where every day Christians get killed yes. in the north. north you know? yeah. And when you hear about Lebanon, what we are just now talking about, where just the sheer chaos is there at this point. It wasn't too many years ago that Beirut, Lebanon was a hustle and bustle and metroplex filled with modern tea and all the conveniences. And today it's a shell of itself. Oh, absolutely. You know, people can really be happy if they get electricity for maybe one or two hours a day. But that's the max they could get. People there uh, lost their income. I mean, just think about I talked to a professor there. She told me her salary was maybe two years ago, $1,500. Now it's maybe 80. For 10,000 Lebanese pounds three years ago, somebody could really buy groceries for a week. Okay. Now you get for this amount of money, half a glass of milk. That, that's it, you know, means 85% of the people do really not know how to live. We as a ministry, we are there since decades. And uh, since more than 10 years, we work among Syrian refugees. So we work with people who have nothing. But now Lebanese middle class has nothing, you know. Uh, people who, who were really well off, who drove their Mercedes, just don't know how to buy bread for their kids. This is the reality. My goodness. Uh, Talk a little bit about the work that Call of Hope does in Lebanon and around the world. Give us a kind of a scope. Well, 
call of hope is existing to reach out to Muslims. This, this is what we do. This is what is on our heart. This we do since more than 100 years, mm -hmm. um, mostly with literature and now, of course, internet, social media, all this. But uh, important for us is to show Muslims the love of Christ. You know, you, you can talk about it and you should talk about it. But then we also understand that we cannot let people just starve. I mean, going there now in this situation in Lebanon and tell people, oh, Jesus loves you. Well, that's great. But I they, need to, they need to, to feel the love. You know, that's the point. And they feel the love when they really see, hey, the Christians come to us as Muslims. And we Muslims, we hate Christians. But now they come and they bring us blankets and they bring us food. They bring us bread. They just give us this love. And then people ask, you know, then they say, oh, okay, uh, we hate you. We did all these evil things to you. And now you, in, in our miserable situation, you come and help us and show us this love. And that changes everything. I don't even want to wait. Give us a story. Give us a story of something that's like, yes, this is exactly the heart of God. And these results are amazing. Mohammed, one more Mohammed. Mohammed Ayub is his name. He's Lebanese. You know, he is one of these guys who was really well off. He's 39 years old now. He's a Shiite Muslim. Uh, he studied economics. He had a really good job in Beirut. Everything was okay. A year ago, uh, this crisis started. Now he doesn't know how to feed himself. So a few months back, he stood in front of uh, the flat of our co-worker in Lebanon and knocked the door. And really? he stood there and he said, hey, I don't have anything. Could you give me something to eat? And uh, Pastor Tuma, our director there, he told him, well, sure, we help you, but... Uh, wouldn't you be interested to come for a Bible study? And he said, okay, I mean, Bible study, fine. Of course, he thought he would get food, right. but he also did. But he came for the Bible study, and later he told us, he said, the first Bible study, the first time he heard about Jesus, he felt there is peace, you know, that there is something different. He told me, he said, I want to have this Jesus. That was his first thing he thought at his first Bible study. At his first Bible study. Wow. And he came for a few months. And uh, after a few months, he told Pastor Tuma, he said, listen, I would like to give my life to Christ. But, you know, one of my issues is my name is Muhammad. I don't want to be called Muhammad anymore. No. Really? He said... I would like to change my name into Nur. Nur Arabic means light. You know? oh he my said, word. He, I understood that Jesus is the light of the world. And you told us in one of the sermons that Jesus then told us that we should be the light, light for this world. So I want to be this light now. So call me Nur. A few weeks later, he wanted to get baptized. And... Pastor Tuma told him, he said, well, we could baptize you just with two, three people around. We can also baptize you uh, in our Sunday service. And he said, no, 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 no. I, I want to be at the Sunday service to get baptized. But then Pastor Tuma said, OK, but listen, you are a Muslim. Please be aware of the consequences. Uh, when there are 150 people and they see that you get baptized, They're gonna you hear. risk your life. 
And he said, listen, to live for me is Christ and to die for me is to gain Christ. That's it. That, that was his only sentence. And he got baptized, uh, I think, on the 24th of August this year. <laughs> you know, um, and, and it is dangerous. I yep. mean, we have a lot of <clears throat> examples now in Lebanon where Muslim relatives try to kill converts and so on. It, it's happening. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they say, hey, my life is Christ now. That's beautiful. Mm. Got Reverend Stefano Fair with us, president of Call of Hope Ministries, a ministry among Muslims. Uh, coming up, let's talk about the spread of Islam throughout the world. We've got Stefano Fair. He has his finger on the pulse of what's going on worldwide. More coming up. Your number one hub for freedom stories. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Reverend Stefano Fair with us right now, president of Call of Hope Ministries. What do you see when you look at the spread of Islam faith around the world? Is it growing? Is it shrinking? What are you seeing? Well, I mean, it is growing. Uh, it, it must be growing just for biological reasons. Yeah, sure. I mean, this is how it is. But I sometimes feel we in the West, we look at it and, and we panic, you know, something like, oh, what is going on in the Muslim world and so many more Muslims and whatever. And why should we panic? I mean, Jesus got the victory. You know, mm-hmm. this, this is what I see. Yes. And, and I do see, yes, uh, Islam is raising. There are more Muslims all around the world. But that also means we have more opportunities to share the word of God. And, and this is really what is happening. And when, when I look at it, I would really say uh, we never had so many opportunities to let Muslims know about Christ than today. How is that? What are the opportunities? But number one is media. Okay. You know, now with social media, I, I, 10 years ago, I would have never thought that you can lead Muslims from Yemen, from Saudi Arabia, through social media to the Lord. And it's happening. Oh, it is happening. Yes, this is exciting. Uh, it is absolutely happening. You know, we have we have people who write to us. We, we have a team in Lebanon. They work on social media. And we have people writing to us and they say, hey, uh, here in Syria, in Yemen, uh, one guy wrote from Syria. He said, my whole life I look for peace, but there is no peace. And it's getting worse and worse in this world. And uh, then our people told him and said, well, there is peace, Uh, you know, Philippians 4, 7, uh, peace, which is uh, higher than our understanding. And from there on, four months later, this guy gives his life to Christ, you know, and this is happening every month. I mean, we have dozens of people every month who give their life to Christ just through that. On the other hand, I think there's many crisis situation all around the world. Well, it's terrible, no doubt about it. But I always see the Lord at work in these bad situations, you know. It's often where he works most If you look into the Bible, you know, I I was just writing a commentary about the book of Esther the the other day. The other Uh, day, okay. uh, (laughs) And I saw there, yes, a lot of crisis, but then... People come back to God, you know, they find God again. And I feel this is exactly what we are in in these days. Uh, Stefano, we've been hammering hard the Great Commission. And it has been called by some uh, spiritual formation experts who are godly men and women, the Great Omission. 
We've gone and made converts, but we've done a horrible job stateside here making disciples. Mm. And we're called to make disciples. Mm. What does disciple making look like in the Muslim world? And where are you seeing the greatest inroads to seeing this multiplication of people? You know, Carl, when as a Muslim, you give your life to Christ, you are already disciples. Yeah, be, because, because you're, you're all in. Because this is not just a decision, you know, not yeah. like uh, in Europe or in the U.S. where you say, oh, I want to follow Jesus. Okay, fine. But what does that mean in a country like Lebanon? What does that mean in a country like Morocco? That means that your family will leave you, that your family might want to kill you. Then you really need to be discipled. I mean, when you take this step and you say, hey, I love Jesus and I want to get baptized, then you are for sure already a disciple. And we would never press somebody to get baptized. You, you know? have them count the cost like oh, Jesus did. Absolutely, you know, and, and they do. And then they say, yeah, that's my life. Christ is my life. Well, and that's a disciple, you know. I mean, sometimes we feel everything should go instantly, you know. We are an instant society. Yeah. Uh, with Muslim ministry, that usually doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, it can work that somebody finds Christ in one or two days, but sometimes it's a year, two years, three so, years. So, so bottom line, Stefano, you're saying, and it's much different because American Christianity, by the way, for the record, my firm conviction is, Many of these supposed converts are not converted at all mm, mm, in America mm. because the cost, there's no cost associated with it. But you're saying there's such a cost attached to claiming the name of Jesus that by and large, those folks that say, I'm going to be baptized in water baptism, they are all in with Jesus. Oh, absolutely. Then, then in, the, in this word, call of hope, what do you link these people to to help them? I mean, they're all in now. Now you don't want to leave them flapping in the wind. You must help these people get connected with other Jesus followers. Oh, absolutely. And that now, I mean, we work in 27 countries, so that means these are very different circumstances. Sure. But uh, in a country like Lebanon, we do have churches where we can uh, link them to even our own church, uh, Convert Church. But then, uh, for example, in Morocco, you know, there are no churches. So we have underground churches. Wow. I mean, when you talk about the church, then these are eight people, maybe six, maybe ten uh, meeting in a living room on Sunday. That's the church. But at least they are together, you know. And then, of course, we also try... Uh, we, for example, in Morocco have uh, built and bought two big houses in uh, touristic areas. So when in summer 50, 60 people come, nobody cares. They are thinking this is a big family, you know. Well, that's not a big family. These are 50, 60 <laughs> Jesus followers who come there for two weeks and get rooted in the word of God. Uh, very importantly also for the children, you know, the yes. children who grow up in a total Muslim society. And now they are in a two weeks retreat and they see, oh, there are other children, you know, and their families, they follow Christ. That, that's very, very important. This is and exciting. we do that, yeah. Well, Boom Crew, you're hearing this and you're going, all right, how can I become a shareholder in this ministry? We've got a link for you. Just text the word hope. The ministry is called Call of Hope. So just text hope to 312-274-9624. Text hope to 312-274-9624. Stefano, thanks for not letting the fire go out for your love for Jesus. Well, we thank the Lord, don't we? It's thank his you. grace alone. Absolutely. 
Listen when you like with the Carlin Crew Showcast. Just text SHOW to 312-274-9624. And the earliest revival that we can find in the scriptures is right here in Acts chapter 2. And so there's a lot of things going on. Let's just retrace some tracks. Peter gets up and preaches a message. Talk about change, by the way. This is a changed dude. He went from weak in the knees about his relationship and friendship with Jesus to standing up saying he is the Messiah. And God used him so powerfully that 3,000 men, so it could have been anywhere between, I don't know what it would have been, six to 12,000 people, sure. surrendered to Jesus hmm. and said, he is our Messiah. We aren't looking anymore. Now, this is a big deal. That means those people would have stepped out of the crowd and the crowd would have been way larger than this. They stepped out of the crowd and said, our search for the Messiah is over. We have found him. Now, when you're raised in this Jewish tradition and looking for the Messiah, this is a big deal. You can feel that, right? Oh, yeah. So the question is, what's going to give them the conviction to even turn, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. But then what are some of the practical things that keep them living out this conviction? And that's what we're talking about today, because for every revival, there's some things that flow out of it. Yeah. If you have genuine revival, it's more than some hype session, like, let's go team. It's, you know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and sometimes we reduce revival down to a hype session spiritually. And so sure. when we say revival, like, what do you, what do you mean by That's that? That's a great question because revival is not a biblical word. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, when I think of revival, I'm just going to straight up. I think of individual hearts that are so filled with the unction and the power of God through repentance that it is it brings life and vitality to the forefront like never before. Okay. And when that happens with multiple people, oh, baby, that's when you got real revival. As I remember churches having revival right. services right. or revival week, and they maybe have a extra services or a guest speaker, and yeah. there's music, and it, there's an exciting atmosphere. Uh, is this Is that revival? Well, no. But it would be cool if we could schedule a revival, wouldn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> like this Sunday would be awesome. Yeah. Sunday revival. Yeah. But, you know, there's some characteristics that we can find here. And boom, I just want to move all, remove all the hype here for a second. Just say there's some something that we can find in the text here that shows us a, a quality rather than a quantity, a quality of something that we ought to be looking for in our life mm -hmm. and go, God, just would you revive me until this happens? And so when it comes to the word of God, because that's what we're talking about today, you got to ask the question, whoa, how did they handle the word of God? And I think when we talk about handling the word of God, we talk about, oh, wow, these are people that are in the word. They're in the word right. all the time. Reading this, their Bibles. Yeah, the they're time. reading their Bibles. No, that's not what was happening. So I'm messing with you right now, Boom Crew, because you might be saying, well, what what does it mean? Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you the words because I don't want to play around. But coming up in a minute and a half, we'll break it out a little bit more. This is what it says. So this big revival happened, right? There's an unction of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's on fire, wouldn't you say? Right. And that's the only time we see. I mean, it has to be a move of the Holy yeah, Spirit. It, big it cannot time. be man-made. Yeah. And then they get into this. Ready for this? Verse 42 of Acts 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
Now, here's where we've got to elevate this to its biblical picture, because this is so different. We're going to break it down. We're going to get super clear about this. And then at the bottom of the hour, we've got to go to Alaska. We've got a brand new story from Alaska. Hadn't cropped up ever before. And uh, I want to give it to you today. Helping you take the next step in your walk with Jesus. This is Carl and Crew Mornings. I'm teasing Young Thunder in the first hour today. I throw out this question. <laughs> All right, what was going on with the early church in this first revival? Yeah. What made it so unique or what? I forget. How did I ask that question in the first hour? Uh, man, I don't remember how you asked the question. I All think... you know is that you gave the punchline oh, before I wanted it. You were talking about what does it mean to follow the apostles' teachings. Yes, 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 yes. And, and so I was giving it. And then I gave the punchline like right at the beginning of the show. At the beginning, because I thought, oh, nobody's going to mention this. So give the punchline right now. What is it? Well, the punchline was that in order to follow the apostles' teaching, they had to listen to their words. The apostles were the people who had seen Jesus. So they, they knew him. They knew what he was teaching. And they then went on and taught it to now all these new believers through oral tradition because the Gospels hadn't been written yet. None of Paul's, Peter's, John's letters had been written yet. And so the New Testament didn't exist. They had to get it through the voices of these apostles. So and there were a dozen apostles. Yeah. And so what we have here, we've got the need to share and repeat and pass on and and get little bits and pieces so here's the, here's the question. What does devoted to the apostles' teaching mean? And I'll tell you what it means, because we find this in the book of Revelation. When you look at what the church has fallen away from, it's falling away from the direct application of the word. Jesus would never say, get in the word more. He would say, get the word worked out in your life. The whole goal of the incarnation of God in his son, Jesus Christ was for the purpose of the God-man coming to earth, telling us how to live, filling us with the Spirit so that our life can be conformed to the image of God. Mm. Boom! Yes. I mean, that's it. And so when you think about devoted to the apostles' teaching, you might think that the application of that today would be devoted to my pastor's teaching, devoted to radio ministry. Oh, that's taking a good in, point. Because, and which would be a sensible, reasonable jump, yeah, right? Sure. But why is today different? Why is like taking in a lot of sermons or listening to the radio, Christian radio every day, not necessarily the application that we should take? Yeah. And it's simply this, because what's going on in this text, if we look at this text devoted to the apostles teaching could not have been what we do today with the consumption of truth. It would have by necessity been the working out of truth in our life. And How I was, so? Well, I think there would have been. You know, sometimes we, and, I, and I'm not casting blame anywhere mm -hmm. because I've done this with the best of them. Sure. But I think when we talk about the word of God, we love to talk about new discoveries, stuff that we've found. Oh, this is what God's teaching me. What if the discussion in the lobby after a service was, how are we going to apply this? What about this way? What about this? Mm. Hey, have you learned anything about how to apply that part of the Sermon on the Mount? Mm. Oh, you have? You're doing it that way? Oh, you got to be kidding me. Oh, you're walking in purity. How? So I think it would take the whole discourse to a whole new level. Mm. So what can we learn from this? They were at the early church when they were revived. They were devoted to the apostles teaching and they were devoted to walking it out in their daily lives. Now, how do I know this is true? 
Because the final words in Jesus's sermon on the mount, the final words, and this would have been pinnacle, pinnacle teachings that they would have received. Because don't you know final words of any speech are highlighted, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, any speech, final words are highlighted. Absolutely. His words, Sermon on the Mount. Well, what do we go back and see? Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into action will be like a person that built his house on a rock. The storms come beat against that house, but it will not fall. And conversely, inaction causes the house to be built on the sand. You can't tell me that these people weren't conversing that one around and saying, let's put this thing into action. Guys, I got to tell you, what's that mean for us? We'll talk about that coming up here in this next half hour. Also, I'm going to take you to Alaska. Brand new illustration. I don't know why I've never used this one before. Is it uh, I did a rod? I did a rod. I did a rod. Coming up, new story. Waking you up with adrenaline and Jesus. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. All right, uh, we're talking about revival today. I want us all to jump in the deep end here, guys. And the revival that we find in the book of Acts is epic in that Peter stands up in front of thousands and thousands of people. You got to get this picture. And when he stands, he's bold. Yeah, I mean, he is so... I always read this and think, man, what must have that been like for them to sit there and listen? And he, this is the clincher in verse 36 of Acts 2. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Pretty that heavy. Is pretty heavy. And yeah. they are cut to the heart. They go, what, what should we do? He tells them, repent and be baptized. And that's when revival starts. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Pretty cool, huh? Yep. So they, goes on to say in verse 41, so those who received his word, that's Peter's words, were a, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, which is kind of cool. So someone's out there going, how many we got out here? What would you put it at? 26, 2,700? Another guy says, I don't know. I think we got 32, 3,300 out here. <laughs> so it's it about 3,000 3, people. <laughs> But those are men. So these are thousands and thousands of men, women, and children that are yeah. being baptized, coming up out of the water, filled with the Holy Spirit, excited to go and grow with God. Now, I haven't even mentioned this, but we know that there was sustained revival because the back end of this little chunk of scripture in verse 42 to 47, look at verse 47, the back, the, the last sentence and the Lord added to their number day by day those who mm -hmm. were being saved. Yeah. The flywheel effect of the Spirit of God was on the move. And you got to ask the question, what sustained this revival? Well, I'll tell you what sustained this revival. There's four fundamental things that they were committed to. And there's no reason that God would have put these in here except for the fact that they're vital. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And when we see devotion to teaching... Everything Jesus was aiming at was life conformity, not knowledge gathering. And I, and, right. we, and I really want to drill down on this one, because when we think about when someone is really in the word, spending a lot of time, maybe doing read throughs or in Bible studies, they're really in it that you might not be in the pocket with Jesus at all, because it's the application of truth to your life. 
That's the jazz. And so we see in verse 42, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This commitment to apply the teaching. They yeah. would not have had a traditional Bible, but they are hearing. I mean, they just heard from Peter that this Jesus whom you crucified, they took that in and then they continued to listen. Like, what else do we need right. to know? Well, when he told them, go be baptized, boom, they were they dunked. Yeah, so, and then they would have been saying, well, what else did Jesus say? Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. You build your life on the rock? How do you build your life on the rock? By not just hearing the words of Jesus, but doing them. Yeah. Well, they were moving on this. It, it, something I'm thinking about as we're talking about this, because it, a lot of Jesus's words to us in the Gospels are instructional. How? Why do you think that we take that more as knowledge gathering without applying? How can we take it without applying? It's a fascinating question, Young Thunder. Yeah. It's a fascinating question. In fact, let's pose that to you, Boom Crew. Why do we lean more toward information gathering than life transforming perspective? What if and what would happen, by the way? So, Boom Crew, you could throw us some ideas on text messages, anything along these lines. But what would happen if I want to take to this next level? What if the vast majority of our discourse was not about the information we're receiving, Mm -hmm. but the choices and the decisions and the exercises and the brainstorms and the ideations about how to apply it directly to our life today. (laughs) Nelly! Guys, I'm telling you, this gets me so excited because if the church in Chicagoland, I believe this from the bottom of my heart, if the church in Chicagoland had, after every service, we didn't get up, and walk out and head to the cars. And I mean, it's truly like Jeremiah 2, cisterns that can't hold water. Hmm. Most of our brains and souls are so leaky. It's just like, whoo, it's gone. Yeah. And by Sunday afternoon. We don't know what he said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but no, no, I'm not condemning. No, I know. How exciting. Yeah. How thrilling would it be if the church in Chicagoland And we're down here in downtown Chicago right now. I don't know where you're sitting right now, but what if you were part of a church, an expression of the Church of Chicagoland, by the way. These congregations are not churches. They're expressions of the broader Church of Chicagoland. What if if we had an approach that said, how are you applying this? Oh, you're getting victory here? Oh, really? You're doing that? That's great. Yeah, what are you going to do? How are you going to apply this? And we're like hand rubbing, fired up, not about what we learned, but about what we're applying to our life. I like Got a little feedback coming in by text message. We asked kind of the why. Why do we, are we so kind of comfortable taking in information but not applying it? And it all seems to, all, and landing in the same place, that it's, it's easier. It's easier to acquire knowledge than it is to actually put it into practice. Yeah. But wouldn't you agree as well, though, Allie? Yeah, I agree with that 100%. It's easier. It's, it's, the, it's the path that's easiest walk. But here's the amazing thing. There is so much joy that's left on the table. There's so much victory. There's so many tears that are shed that are, that are shed unnecessarily because of persistent addictions, um, shame loops, that God wants to break us from by the application of his word. 
going deeper in our relationship with Jesus. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. You know, the difference between knowing the word and applying the word is radical. Now, I'm not here to propose that applying the word is easy. As a matter of fact, getting the word applied into our life can be very difficult. I think this is why sometimes we opt for, I just want to learn more. <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> I want to apply more. But I, I really mean this in my heart of hearts, and it's boiling in my belly this morning. If we can learn to be people that not just hear the word, but put it into motion, i.e. the last vignette from the Sermon on the Mount. But if we could learn to be people that applied the word, not just hearers only, Katie bar the door. And here's the analogy that I've had in my own life. Let me just take you to Alaska. For years when I was first a junior musher, I went through a bit of a, uh, what's it called when you have uh, all kinds of innovations? <laughs> I went through a season of real innovations. I guess that's the word. Innovations in dog mushing where, where the, the learning curve was so fast mm -hmm. because it used to be a pretty old sport. Joe Reddington Sr. came along, just a hero in Alaska, and he resurrected the Iditarod Trail. That was a serum run of to save the village of Nome from diphtheria epidemic. Mm. So the serum had to get relayed with dog teams to Nome to save thousands of people or they all would have died. And that was the origin of the That was the race, origin of correct? the Well, and it was a relay. So okay. not, a, not one team ran the whole way. You shuttled uh. it. Um, I mean, the names go on and on. They're epic names. They don't mean anything to you, Boom Crew, but these are epic names in Alaska where they would shuttle it from this team to this, to this village, to this, to this, to this. I think there were a dozen, 14 guys that shuttled it. A couple of guys would handle like 20 miles, but some guys handled like 200 miles. Wow. And they got the serum to know. Yeah. So there were a lot of innovations with dog mushing in the Iditarod. And dog mushing is just, is that another word for racing? Yeah, dog mushing, dog racing, sled dog racing. Okay. It's its with a team of dogs pulling a sled across the snow in Alaska Got or it. Minnesota, wherever. So when I started dog mushing or dog racing, we had runners. And I've realized early this morning, <laughs> you got to explain this stuff because runners. Yeah. I'm just going to stop you every time I, I hear know. a term I don't know. Yeah, so runners, <laughs> they're like skinny skis on the bottom of a sled basket, a dog sled basket. And these are the things that slide along the snow. Okay. And when I started running sled dogs, my, my dog sleds had steel runners. Well, guess what? Steel runners are great if the temperature of the snow is right around freezing. But the colder it gets, the stickier the steel gets. Well, then along came this innovation called PTEX, and PTEX is amazing stuff. It's this super hard plastics, and now you can get it in different densities for different temperatures. But we got these this super hard plastic called PTEX, same plastics they use for coal shoots in Virginia. Oh. So you don't shoot coal down steel shoots, you shoot, you shoot them down shoots that have this high-tech plastic that is just super durable. It's mm -hmm. not like light plastic. I mean, this we would mush with these teams across rough terrain, and this plastic held up. It was amazing stuff. But when you put on plastic versus steel runners, guys, there were times I'm pushing my sled with steel runners, 
And I feel like, whoa, this thing feels like a thousand pounds. Mm-hmm. I can barely get this thing going. Slip on PTEX. Wow, we're sailing down the trail. I mean, sailing down the trail. I talked with a friend of mine, Mitch Seavey, uh, who has won the Iditarod four times. And I call him all the time just to get an update, get my Iditarod fix, That's right? Awesome. So I'll call up Mitch. Hey, Mitch, uh, tell me what's going on. So I'll ask him questions. Like, So I, I asked him one question one time. I said, I think this is a year ago. I go, so what's up with plastics? He goes, oh, man, plastics. We've innovated so much <laughs> since you ran the Iditarod. Oh. He said they have now different color plastics shipped to every checkpoint that they can slip it on. They become like shoes now. They've they've created a channel of iron that goes down the bottom of the, the ski of the sled, mm-hmm. the two skis, mm-hmm. so that it, and then the, the notches in the plastic fit that channel of iron. So it oh, becomes wow. like shoes that you put on. Yeah. But they'll send three different plastics to every checkpoint for three different type weather patterns that they're mushing across the land That's on. High wow. tech. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So here's... Here's the analogy, as cumbersome as it may be. If we're just going to be knowledge brokers, it's like we've got steel runners on our lives. But every time we apply the word of God, we fly. We move. We're called to run this race. Run it in such a way that you win the prize. It's what the writer of Hebrews says. Um, Paul in Corinth, to the church of Corinth, he says, don't, don't be a person that's just boxing the air. What's he saying? He's saying, work out these passages of scripture in your life. And here's the analogy. And I've seen it in my own life. And, we, and I, I'm willing to admit it. There are things in my life probably today that it's like pushing steel runnered sled down the Iditarod Trail. It's like, man, this sucker's heavy. You know what the application of God's word does in our life? It's like putting a shoe of yellow plastic on. It's like putting a shoe that's got blue plastic. And we go run that race in front of us. I think that's how different it is, if that makes any sense at all, Allie. And so there's got to be someone listening who's skeptical because it almost sounds like you say applying the word of God makes your life easier. Yeah. Uh, Easier. Smoother. No. Because it doesn't but, always feel that way. No. In fact, the opposite. No, but more fulfilling, more gratifying, and further down the trail, for sure. Hey, this is Carl with Carl and Crew, and I'm so grateful that you listened to this showcast. Thank you mostly for being part of the Boom Crew. As we help you take your next step with Jesus, you're a huge encouragement to us. We'll be here again live every weekday morning from 5 to 9 a.m. Godspeed.